Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Urban Glory Radio. Simply glorious. And spreading the gospel to the world. We have designed a streaming radio broadcast for every believer. This word, worship, and witness-filled broadcast streams live every week. Access episodes on demand 24 hours a day. Subscribe to our iTunes podcast and take UGR wherever you go. Visit us online at urbanglorycampaigns.webs.com. Also find us at twitter.com backslash urban underscore glory and like us on Facebook. Enjoy today's broadcast. Good evening. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I am on a teaching series, and we're going to study the Word of God systematically on reformed thinking revealed. We are in our Rethink Church, challenging our sacred perspectives with reformed thinking. And today we're going to talk about refining our religious rhetoric. We're on part two of this, refining our religious rhetoric. I'm going to give a healthy review, and then I'm going to give some new information so that we can empower our, or refine, rather, our religious rhetoric. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day, knowing that this is the day that you have made me rejoice and glad. We do thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us clear articulation of speech and the liberation of thought as we make manifold known the wisdom of God. Holy Spirit, we say, have your way. Do what only you can do. Anoint the people's ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And, Father, I thank you for the uh, things that shall be accomplished and shall be revealed. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus that we do praise you and give you glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. It's impossible to rethink if you've never thought. But the power of rethinking often revamps and refocuses us to reform into what we originally set out for. We need to know that we house the essence of God within our heart when we purpose to embody the glory of his church. Our nature is transformed to the character and the integrity of Christ. Jesus, who paid the ultimate price, the total victory, and as we are renewed in his knowledge, the knowledge of him, our spirit is awakened, affirmed, and advanced to new potentials, promises, precepts, provisions, and plans that are extraordinary. So these lessons are set to advance us. And tonight we're talking about reforming our religious rhetoric. 
rhetoric. Of course, and, and when we talk about that, we're actually refining our religious rhetoric. Everyone has a rhetoric. Rhetoric is a is a set communication that we we often revert to subconsciously as a standard, uh, um, as decent communication. We have rhetoric. Um, ministers have rhetoric when they preach. They have a certain base of scriptures that they always use as the basis of their their platform, and so they only know but so much. I mean, sometimes they research and and the research helps them seem creative, but at the end of the day, there's a few passages that become our real authentic rhetoric. As you know, mine is sonship and and the uh, new creation reality. So a lot of the scriptures in the New Testament, such as Colossians and and such as this revelation of the church in Peter chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 through 9, Ephesians 5 and, and Colossians, those scriptures are kind of my rhetoric because I have been born and birthed into this logical um, perception given by the Holy Spirit to become and embody the convictions of the church. And so it is my passion. Um, anytime you talk to me and you, you go into that, that vein of thought and thinking, you're going to awaken the gifts that I have, I have established and have confidence and built my articulation and my appreciation around the, the various transmission of that communication, okay? So so I say that elaborately to let you know that we all have a rhetoric. It's, it's, it's amazing that we don't know what we fill it with. Um, you, don't, you, you need to take note of what you're constantly reviewing and revamping in your mind. Is it, is it the laws of God? Is it the ways of God? Is it your love for God, or is it the circumstances that uh, um, come around your existence? Is it the challenges that you face or face? Or is it your infatuation for your career or your strive for success and, uh, and, and or wealth? What is your rhetoric? And, 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 and what, this, what this process of rethinking church does is awaking us to evaluate, to revamp and reform based on our enlightened perspective. When we, when, we, when we house the convictions and the conscience of the church, something in us, within us, should be made alive, should be brought to fervency and fervor for, for the quest for righteousness and the quest for truth and the quest for holiness and sanctification. So these set of lessons are charged with grace strategies to resolve the advantages of sanctification. Have you sanctified the Lord God in your heart? That's what Peter tells us to do. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And that's what, that's what we, um, we, we are answering. What do we, what do we mean by rethinking? Well, when we say rethinking, we're talking about rediscovering the power of an authentic faith evaluation. We're talking about rediscovering the value of what it means to be the church and participate in church culture. We're also rediscovering what it means to house the Holy Spirit as a, as a, as a force of, of, of preservation in, in history and, and, and in reality. These, these, these things are, are what are shaping our convictions around this discussion of, am I, am I, really, am I really of the church? Am I really... 
engaged into the life and the and the pulse and the passion and the power of the church. The 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 you know I often li- li- listen to Christians and I listen to a lot of I've I've learned by experience because I've been in the church literally all my life. I've been in ministry now. Come next year, it'll be 30 years, so this is my 29th year of preaching. And so I've heard all types of um, people's uh, opinions about how they convey faith. And when I use faith in this connotation, I'm talking about their overall ideas that create the standard of them to affirm what they believe and why they believe what they believe. And I'm often baffled at the, the, the diversity the diversity of of the standards that should be embedded within us. So often when you hear teachings like this and I give very clear, uh, concise uh, points, you will find that, that in many places, <laughs> many people don't have a set basis, a set basis uh, that, that advances them and, and keeps them steadfast, unmovable, but yet abounding at the same time. You know, because the bounding almost seems like it's contradictory, like it's an oxymoron to the, the, the to the fixations of our soul, but it really isn't. It's really saying that when you are steadfast and you're unmovable in your beliefs and your behavior and, and your uh, bright outlook on the promises and the and the standards of God, you will abound without being uh, easily swayed by every thing that is thrown at you to, to, to cause you to think differently from what should be concrete in your life. And one of those convictions that we have, that we should have in the body of Christ, is the conviction of the church, what it means, what we value, why we do what we do, as, as, a, means to, uh, as a means to exist confidently as believers, as those who profess to know and serve the Lord. Now, one of, the, one of the things that I'm going to talk to you about today is the advantages of awakening to his lordship. But in the coming, in the coming lesson, the, the final lesson of this first division, I'm going to really charge you again to, to evaluate and to come to resolves of your, um, um, come to resolves of, of not only your your rethinking mechanism, but I want you to come to a better conclusion about how you c- commit to your con how you commit your conduct to conveying your conversion. Now, um, I'm charging your conscience. I'm challenging your conscience, rather. I'm I'm saying, okay, when I say rethink, and this is a man mandate. First of all, reformed thinking is a purposeful thinking. Whatsoever things are noble, honest pure of good report, think on these things. In other words, focus your thoughts. Okay, that's the charge of rethinking. It's saying take take your standards into consideration and and develop a basis of fix of fixation on solid thoughts, solid conclusions. Which means you got to engage faith with your mind. You know, because a lot of people are void of faith in mind. I, I observed this when I was leading um, uh, various ministries in different churches, how people kind of separate. When they come, they have made 
the church culture experience so sensual that everything's about expressing emotions, crying to indicate that they're in tune with the spirit, uh, hollering to in, indicate there's a manifestation of the spirit, um, dancing to uh, to uh, declare deliverance based on the spirit. And all of these things are really emotional expressions, but they don't necessarily mean that that actually is taking place. It's just trained responses. It's trained responses that we have developed over time in this culture and context of observing the church. You know, you go to a church that's a little more reserved and they appreciate the, the words and the verbiage around things. So they'll, they'll create coin statements to help you um, appreciate, you know, like, you know, singing amazing grace, tis so sweet to trust it. The God is good. And, and you if I say that in a, a typical traditional church, they'll say all the time and all the time they'll say God is good. You know, it's just it's just rhetoric. It's rhetoric. It's just words that we, we use over and over and over again. And we do this when it comes to even our reading of the scriptures, especially when we believe we're confident about the the, the concept and the the actual charge that it's trying to make behind the text. We, we, we preach it in such confidence that, yes, we got this, this story of Daniel or this story of David, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, or David with Goliath. We, we, we get these scriptures of, of, of Moses parting the Red Sea, these famous stories of Abraham establishing uh, our offerings and tithes before Melchizedek. These, these scriptures, we, 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 kind of, we kind of create a rhetoric over actually the review. And if you're not careful, that very process of, of not rediscovering and, and not re, uh, rediscovering power and, and not re, rediscovering value and rediscovering importance, it will, it, will keep, it will keep you in a cycle of just a passive approach. And, and although you claim that you're going to the next level every year, you're doing the same thing over and over again because they're really – has not been a reconsideration to whether or not what I say on a regular basis and what I um, imply in, in my faith stance is it really what I believe and what I really think. And every once in a while you got to go back. I've learned, especially in being saved over a period of time, there are things and ways I used to approach things very dogmatically and and, and and the Lord through time and and experience and failure of some of the things that I said was affixed in my soul has awakened a compassion and, and characterized more more truths and insights than I did have when I initially became eager and aggressive to understand these truths. So so the re the reevaluation process has to be defined in the church. Because what's happening is people will leave the church if they resolve that what they started out with is where their stance will remain, perspective-wise. Do you get what I'm saying? This is a spiritual psychology class. We have to look within and see whether we believe what we believe. And part of it was uh, the question that was awakened in the first lesson of the rethinking mandate, reformed thinking, revealed one of the things that was, was understood is what is the theology behind the church? What does it mean to be the church? See, the church is the manifestation of God's intent within humanity, housed within humanity. 
It's the revelation. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the son of the living God. The, uh, 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 and he says, Simon Bar-Jonah, true, uh, flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but, 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 but that which of my father is in heaven. And upon this rock, who the rock? Peter. Peter housed the revelation based on his experiences with God his experiences with the Lord Jesus, his experiences in the supernatural. Those charted the, the role and the, and the confidence. It was his rhetoric. That's what Jesus was saying. Okay, if you've been with me so long, what you're saying? Let me hear what you're saying when you're not in my presence because people are going to ask you, who, do they, who are you to me? And that will be the basis, the catalyst of the gospel being expressed in your conduct, your convictions, and your consistency to uphold your character of faith. And if that's not if that's not understood, then then the role then the, the then the intent for humanity through the power of God when it comes to you won't be confident. So then the very the very church is challenged within. Because we have a form of godliness, but we're denying the power, the, the, the power that awakens us to the reality of what it means to be the church. So we find out that Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, verse 5, 9 through 17, indicates what the role is of the church. Let's go there in review, and then I'll give you a little more insight and information. Amen. We house, we house the, 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 the impact, the revelation of God's church. It's powerful. We house it. We encase it. Now, let me give you some script. Let me give you uh, one scripture. Let's, let's, let me, I'm going to give you, uh, we're going to go to Peter, but I want to give you a bonus. You know, I love giving you some scriptures, you know, because I love giving you some points. Because I want you to understand tonight we're going to talk in two, I'm going to give you two forms of theology. Um, and when I say forms of theology, I'm going to give you sets of scriptures that really kind of help you understand the context behind a, a, a particular statement, doctrine, or, or um, which means set of teachings or word, okay? So the two words that I want to emphasize tonight, I want to talk about the virtues of Christ, the seven virtues of Christ found in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, Isaiah Chapter 11, I'm going to give you what they are. Of course, it's the spirit, and sometimes the spirit is used in two different connotations. When it's a capital S, it, it actually means the Lord or the Lord, the Lording spirit, which is, which is the Holy Spirit, okay? Or when it's lowercase s, it can indicate two things. It can either indicate a characteristic or, or a quality that is discovered within our spirit, like the fruits of the spirit. The fruits are of who? The spirit. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't create them because they belong to the spirit, the spirit of truth. We have the spirit of faith. That's a quality or a characteristic. But the fruits of the spirit in Galatians chapter 5 is of the Holy Spirit. So we engage the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to have residence within us for it to emit or produce the fruits necessary to exist in as a spirit-led person. Do you know what I'm saying? So, but in this particular uh, text, we, we learn the facets of what Jesus is, and as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So when we say spirit, 
in this particular text, we are looking at the characteristics and qualities that he omitted as Christ. And, and of course, Revelation, the revelation that John has, is, is actually a, a, a depiction of what God has seeded within him as to what was going to come. Okay, now we are looking back when he was looking forward. So a lot of the things that were 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 given in this in this in this statement in these statements are really applicable and accessible to us today because we're looking back while he was looking forward. Okay, now I'm just giving that as a little basis for that, but I want to give you where the scriptures talk about this. It says, "And unto the angel of the church, the Sardis." These um, these um, things say of the, the Lord, the seven spirits of God, these are the characteristics, and the seven stars. I know thy works, and that thou names which livest and are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect, which means um, mature before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast, and repent if thou, therefore, shalt not watch. I will come. On thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know the hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even Sardis, even have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk in. Um, they shall walk with me in white, for for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white, a raiment, and I will blot out his name out of the book of life. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Now, he goes on, and, um, and these, are the, these are the seven churches, okay? So, you know, this, maybe we'll do a division and rethink church of the, of the things that God wants to find in his church. But in, these, in the scriptures here, it gives, um, let's keep reading. And unto the angel of the Philadelphia church, the church of Philadelphia, and I'm going to give the, you know, we're going we're gonna to go through this. I don't want to get too lost in this. But I wanted to give you uh, the seven spirits, okay, or the seven virtues of Christ. Let's, um, you know that as, um, as Revelation chapter 3 in its entirety, but let me go to one more passage right quick, and then we'll get into our lesson, okay? Just want to give you a bonus. But the church has an identity, a fixed identity. That's what Second Peter chapter Three says, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, a holy nation. Those are the five attributes of the church. Ephesians in context and chapter 22 through 23 and 17 through 23 actually in context also gives us insights on what it means to be the church. So the church is the called out people of God with the plan of God who purposed the who possess the promises of God by the power of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Did y'all get that? Let me say it slower so you can write it down and understand it. The people of God, the church is the called out people of God with the plan of God who possesses the promises of God by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, through um, which is all authorized through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been adopted by redemption and empowered by resurrection. 
Did y'all hear that? We have been adopted, brought into the family of God by redemption, and we have been empowered by resurrection. Okay, I got to hurry. Now, uh, just note uh, uh, Isaiah 11, chapter 1 and 2, and I'll give you what the seven spirits are. The spirit of the Lord, which means the rulership, which we're going to talk about today. The spirit of wisdom, counsel, the attributes. Now, these are attributes that are used used as the, as the seven stars and seven spirits, all right, um, just to give you a context of where I'm getting this from. So the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of reverence, or the fear of the Lord are the seven spirits or the characteristics of Christ, okay? Christ is in us. Christ is not Jesus' last name, but it's the Holy Spirit. That's why we trust the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit reveals that Jesus is Lord. And then he becomes the spirit of wisdom. He counsels us. He gives us might. By, it says not by might, nor by power, but it's by what? The Spirit says the Lord. So why? Because he is the spirit of might. And it's not by, it says, in all your, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your what? Own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge what? Him. He will direct your path. That's the description of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of understanding, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of revelation or reverence for the Lord, which is the fear of the Lord. Of course, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. So all of these are characteristics that are encased within Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, but the spirit in which he gave us to to achieve redemption by adoption, and to be empowered by his resurrection. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is enhoused, is encased within within us. And this is what has to be the standard and the confidence for which we exist as the church, okay? So three things that changes when when the church is realized. First of all, we we transfer our lordship to Christ. Oh, Lord means owner, ruler, controller, and sustainer. Lord means owner, ruler, controller, and sustainer. We, we know that we can choose this day who we will serve. And then, of course, our, our resolve should be to serve the Lord. But we house, we house, we encase the power of God. So we have to have confidence in who the Lord is. Number one, Psalms 129, verse 4, the Lord is righteous. Number two, Psalms 135, verse 3, the Lord is good. Number four, um, three, the Psalms 134, verse five, 135, verse 5, the Lord is great and above all gods. Psalms 138 also confirms that. Then Psalms 145, verse 3, great is the Lord. He is, um, and then Psalms 104, I'm sorry, Psalms 145, verse 18 says the Lord is near. Psalms 148, verses 13 says, let the name of the Lord be praised. For his name alone is excellent. His glory is above all the earth and heaven. So the Lord, I, 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 I've never given this line about the Lord, but we've got to transfer our lordship to Christ. And this is just our five points for today. Those scriptures help us understand the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, we are, we are strong in his confidence, and his children shall be in a place of refuge. Psalm, Proverbs fourteen twenty six, And, of course, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are saved. Proverbs 18.10. 
And then Proverbs, Psalms 20, 27 says that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Why? Because we house the spirit of the Lord within us. This is the, the spirit of the Lord is what enhances wisdom, counsel, might, understanding, and reverence in the knowledge of God. All right? So, so I want to give you some scriptures that say, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Psalms 33, 4. And I, because we, we look at these scriptures, but we really don't, we don't in, in house them, encase them within. Amen? And I need us as the church in order to realize what it means to be the church, to understand that not only are we the church, but we're the carriers of Christ. You know, people get mad when you say you're a little crisis, but you are. <laughs> you, you house the spirit of Christ within you. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, Psalms 40, Psalms 40 verse 4. Psalms 100 verse 5 says, The Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Psalms 111.4 says that the Lord is gracious, full of compassion. Psalms 118 says that the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Psalms 121 says that the Lord is thy keeper. Psalms 118.14 says the Lord is thy strength and thy song. These are, these are scriptures that we need to understand. We encase, we transfer the Lordship to Christ. And we got to know what it means to have the Lord on our side. Amen? I could give you more, but we got to go on. Number two, we, uh, so in transferring the Lordship to Christ, we trust in his redemptive work. We train our minds to his Lordship through those reviewing and reflecting on those scriptures. And then we transform our perspective to live is Christ. To live is Christ. So in other words, not only do we observe and appreciate and develop these things in our actions, but then we transform our life through, through this perspective of, of saying, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To live is Christ and to die is God. I no longer live, but I live by the faith of the Son of, Christ, of, of, the Son of God who died for me. Okay, so I trust in his redemptive work. I train my mind to submit to his lordship, and I transform my perspective to Christ or for, to, live, to live for Christ. Number two, we trace the leading of the Holy Spirit. And remember I was dealing you, telling you about the reality of the Holy Spirit has to be felt. John 14, 15, and 16 reveals the reality of the Holy Spirit and is set as an agenda for us to achieve by the Lord Jesus Christ, ordering us to allow the Spirit to lead and guide us into the truth. What happens? We awaken unto righteousness. We activate spiritual gifts through prayer and fasting. That's how it's awakened. We pray. We in-house, we encase the Spirit of God. So when we pray, we allow what is within us to be expressed in our words, to be expressed in our witness, to be expressed in our worship. That's what real prayer does. And from that, we, set, we, we develop sanctification. We, we develop saturation in the Spirit, uh, which, which, which is, listen, supplication. 
we pull on the reserves that we have within. Glory to God. I get excited every time I say that it's one of the 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 um the parts of the armor of God, praying all kinds of prayers, making supplication in the spirit. Glory to God. I tell you, and then we acknowledge utter, the need for utter truth. Why? Because we have traced the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because we understand that the spirit of God is what really causes the reality of what it means to be the church to be evident in our lives. And then thirdly, we train our living um, living to make God's priorities. How do we do that? We seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, and his righteousness. We set ourselves into a kingdom culture, but we do this by being slow to speak and quick to listen. See, all of this is a refining process. We're not just, see, the words that we speak, John 6, they are spirit and they are life. So I got three points that I want to emphasize and close in this teaching. Number one, I want you to understand that the refining religious rhetoric is a process. The refining process is engaged through an authentic faith evaluation. And that's what we're doing in Rethinking Church. We're taking time to say, is, is this the call of greater living? Is this causing me to conform to the kingdom of God? And is this creating a conversion in my heart? How do I know I'm converted in my heart? I obey and do what God tells me to do, period. See, see, what happens is I have a character modification through salvation, sanctification, realized through our redemption. Why? I embody the convictions of Christ. I empower supplication through the Spirit, right? And I'm equipped my heart with good things through purity and repentance. I'm refining the process of evaluating whether I am in faith because anything that is not done in faith is sin, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Anyone that comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We're refining. You know, it's like refining is a sifting process. You know what sifting does? It takes the element in which you're trying to to gain some type of nutrients or or some type of um, interest, but because it's so grained or something, you take it through a sifting process and it even uh, and you shake it. It's a shaking going on, and what it's doing is it's separating that which is good from that which is not good within the substance, so you get a pure substance. That's what we mean. We're saying, listen, we're not going to be religiously talking about stuff that we really don't intend to reply. I remember a lot of time. Uh, I remember a, a statement of Bishop uh, Clifford Johnson, uh, yeah, Johnson made that was so apropos about people that want to exist in faith. Some people come with the reality of no intentions to obey, but faith commands obedience to the directives of God, and that's what causes us to really embody whether we are who we are <laughs> professing to be, all right? Secondly, the refining process is what enforces the mandate of truth. Sheesh, if ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, right? So it, it is what causes the commission of Christ to mark our, our, uh, our importance to the word of God. Is the word of God is what conforms us to the call for greater living and the conformity. 
uh, of the kingdom and conversion to Christ. Why? Because the word of God has been placed <laughs> placed to, to, <clears throat> to house the plan of God. It's the need to mandate for truth, utter truth. Truth is what changes everything when it comes to establishing faith. The only thing faith cannot be void of to exist is the truth. Mm. Hallelujah. But for time's sake, I want to give you the third one because I know I'm out of time. Thirdly, the refining process will be the expanding catalyst that empowers itself through supernatural submission. See, submission to God acknowledges that God has high standards and that sin is corruptible and that righteousness is achievable. Submission to God causes you to forbid the practices of sin, forsake the fellowship of darkness, and follow not the world to be different, distinctively different in your heart to the Lord. It's to have a heart of humility through a life of obedience. That's what submission is. It's when you set your life in order to the orders of God. It's when you sanctify the Lord God in your heart through the confession and the cleansing that comes through the word. And when you seek to please God, see, when we have that, those high standards of submission, it's what regards the help for the Holy Spirit so that we can receive instruction from the Holy Spirit as how to live right. So we can rely on the Holy Spirit to restructure our character and so that we can resist the tendency to overreact to conflicts of the flesh when the enemy tries to change what God has made as standard and norm. It's submission. Submission is, is, is what awakens relationship, fellowship, and then also it also awakens our discipleship. Do you get what I'm saying? Our disciplines to continue in the word, to develop that clarity of heart, and to concentrate on achieving the will of God. We're refining religious rhetoric. Don't get excited and anxious about just sharing what you think is good before God. Let's empower. Let's empower what it takes to really form sound words, sound doctrine, sensitivity through the Holy Spirit, submission to obey the will of God and to achieve the will of God is what's going to happen. We refine that through a process called faith evaluations. We enforce the need for the mandate of truth, and then we expand and empower ourselves through Supernatural submission It is that that awakens us to God And to the plan of God As the people of God That houses the promises and the potential That God's power brings Amen Amen and amen again God bless you I'm out of time Thank you for listening to tonight Uh, We're going to continue and finalize this on Sunday In the word Amen God bless you And have a wonderful day With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.